This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. LinkedIn presents. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Julian Treasure. Julian is an author and international speaker on sound, speaking, and listening. His five TED Talks have been viewed an estimated 120 million times, including one in the top 10 TED Talks of all time. Julian is the founder of the Sound Agency, which has been proving that good sound is good business worldwide since 2003. Julian, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Thank you, Nick. Pleasure to be here. One question I ask every single guest is, what's one thing people might not know about you? Yeah, I don't think many people would know that Back in 1988, I appeared on the UK's top TV talent show. Back in those days, it was called New Faces, playing in a comedy cabaret band in a blonde curly wig, lying down. I'd been playing drums pretty much all my life, and that happened to be the band I was in at the time. And uh, we had one number which made a pun of the idea of getting on down and ended up with the band all lying on their backs. And, uh, yeah, we did well, actually. We got through the heat to the final, which was viewed, I think the viewing figures were 18 million people, but it was back in the days when television was uh, kind of a social event. You couldn't time shift. You watched it live or you missed it. So, uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun, actually. Well, it didn't go quite as well as your TED Talk, but still quite impressive. Yes, slightly different uh, vibe, really. <laughs> so you have this great book, How to Be Heard, The Secrets for Powerful Speaking and Listening. And so my first question I have for you is, why do we take hearing for granted? Well, we, we do to a degree. I mean, we're talking here about hearing, not listening. So we'll, we'll cover that in a, in a moment, maybe. I think, actually, we take most, if not all, of our wonderful senses for granted, Nick, to be honest, until they fail. And then we realize, like anything else, you don't miss it until it's gone, really. But possibly hearing more than most, because the world is very noisy. So we've got into the habit of, you know, suppressing our consciousness of sound. And the world is very ocular. We're much more focused on the eyes than we are on the ears. Nevertheless, Hearing is the primary warning sense. It is for us, it is for most animals. I mean, there isn't a single vertebrate on the planet that doesn't have ears, but there are quite a few that don't have eyes. And hearing goes very deep, very fast. It's far easier to upset somebody through their ears than through their eyes, I think. So we still get very affected by what we hear. We're just in the habit of suppressing our consciousness, ignoring those reactions, the physical responses to sound you know sound changes our heart rate our breathing our hormone secretions um even even our brain waves it changes our feelings you know music is the most obvious example of that but there are plenty of other examples of sound that will have an emotional response it changes how well we can think and when there's staggering and terrifying numbers really about how 
unproductive people are in open plan offices, down to like a third as productive as they would be in quiet spaces. And it changes our behavior. It changes what we do. So we're very affected by it, but we ignore those reactions. And it's very different from, you know, if you think back 50,000 years ago, perhaps if you were sharing a cave with a, a few bears and tigers, your hearing was your primary sense, not so much anymore. Yeah, that's so interesting. How can my listeners hear better? Well, that's about listening, really. It's about paying attention. And, and listening and hearing are two very different things, of course. Hearing is a miraculous sense. I mean, you're decoding everything from an explosion to a Beethoven symphony through a membrane that's about the same size as your little fingernail. I mean, that to me is staggering mm -hmm. engineering when you think about it. Um, it's an amazing sense, but it's not the same as listening. Listening is not a capability. Hearing is a capability. It's a sense. Listening is a skill, and that is a fundamental difference. And it's something that most people are not aware of. That we conflate those two things. We think listening is a capability, so we don't have to do anything. It's just passive. It's not. Listening is an active skill, something that you can master, something you can practice, something that some people are good at and some people are not. It may be that some people are better listeners naturally than others, but it is just like any skill in life. It's something you can practice, practice, practice and master. So how can you do that? How can you practice the skill of listening? Well, the first thing, the door to go through is the one that I've just taken everybody through who's listening to this, which is to realize that listening is a skill, that it is an act. It's work. It's something you do consciously, not unconsciously. So the moment you shine the light of consciousness on anything, you can change it. And before that, there's no changing anything. With listening, absolutely, it's about being conscious that you're doing something. Then understanding that, I mean, I, I talk about the four C's of listening in the book. It also requires uh, commitment because it takes time and energy. So you, Scott Peck said, you cannot truly listen to another human being and do anything else at the same time. I agree with that. Uh, I wonder, dear listener who's listening to this, when's the last time you put everything down and gave somebody the great gift of 100% of your attention in this always on multitasking, multifunctioning world that we live in? You know, it's very rare that we do that. We're always doing something. Oh, I am listening to you. No, you're sending a text. That's not the same thing. Partial listening has become kind of what we do. It's a great gift. Maybe try that after this podcast. Go and give somebody 100% of your attention and you'll probably get the response, what are you doing? Because they're not used to it. You know, it's kind <laughs> of, somebody's really listening to me. We're so used to being partially ignored. <laughs> they might be thinking, why are you giving me so much attention? Is it all about increasing your consciousness? So consciousness is really the door to go through. Once you're through that door and you realize this is a skill, I can practice this, I can pay attention to it, and I can do it as an action, then you're in a different universe with listening and you're on the road to improve it. And then there are lots of exercises that you know I, I talk about in the TED Talk and in the book and obviously in the course, lots of exercises you can do to improve your skill in this very, very important absolutely crucial life skill, really, of listening. Another crucial topic you discuss in your book is inner listening. 
So how does that play a role in our relationship with ourselves? Yeah, in the book, I distinguish three kinds of listening, actually. Outer listening, which is listening to sound. It's what we normally think of as listening. And then there's created listening, which is a listening for yourself that you create. And you always speak into a listening. That's a very important thing to realize if you're speaking, that uh, not everybody listens like you do. We listen through a set of filters and your actions in life create a listening for you. And you speak into that listening a great deal of the time. And other people bring their own filters and the path they've come from to the conversation. So it's very important to ask yourself the question, what's the listening I'm speaking into? And then, as you say, Nick, the third form of listening is inner listening. That's listening to that little voice in our head. We all have it. The one that just said, what little voice is he talking about? That one. That can be quite a critical voice a lot of the time. And it's really important if you have negative self-talk, and there are lots of books about this and so forth, uh, as well as doing affirmations and retraining it and so forth. The biggest realization, to me anyway, is to understand that you are not that voice. Well, if you're not the voice, who are you? You're the one listening to the voice. And that puts you in a different position altogether. So you can start to treat that voice like you're the king or queen on the throne. The voice is the court jester coming up and lobbing comments at you. You can tousle its head and say, thanks very much. Now, on your way, I'm going to go on that dance floor anyway. Normally, the voice is, you know, it might be a fragment of your identity. It might be something that's been damaged or a wound from the past. Don't you dare put your hand up. Don't say anything. You know, that kind of often stopping us from doing things. Or you idiot, you know, the very critical. Maybe we had a critical parent and we're used to that kind of response and we internalize it. So if the moment you realize you're not the voice, you're the one listening, puts you in a position of power that you can ignore it if you wish to. It's not necessarily true. How does it make people feel when they realize that they're no longer that voice? Well, hopefully uh, powerful because you're the king or queen. And the voices are just a jester. I mean, it's, it's only saying stuff. And words aren't necessarily true. You don't have to believe it. It's not all of you. It's not really you talking. That's the thing to realize. Uh, it might be, your, it's probably your ego talking if you, if you want to get sort of psychoanalytical about it. So it's a much more powerful place to be. You're not a victim anymore. You're up on the throne. The voice is down there. And you can make choices about whether you want to take on board what it says or not. I tell you what, one thing that I found very useful over the years, which I got from playing various sports, really, was instead of the voice going, you idiot, you've done that again, you know, which can be quite destructive. And it, it creates anger and self-loathing and all sorts of negative emotions. A much more useful response internally is to train yourself to say, that's interesting that's interesting. Why did I mess that up? And then there's a process where you can start to learn and maybe do it differently next time. That's interesting. Why did I just have a shouting match with that person? That's interesting. Why did that person not respond well to me? So the moment we do that, instead of you idiot, you're useless. It's a much more productive inquiry. Yeah, this is so impactful on the power of listening. Can you retrain your inner voice? In a competitive market, 
Does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Well, I think it changes your behavior if you're not being entirely self-critical. I mean, we don't need, there's enough criticism in the world with uh, people being judgmental and so forth uh, without doing it to yourself as well. So I think, if you know, the two things really are hand in hand, learning to retrain the voice to be more positive. And people do that, as I said, through affirmations and learning to be able to disregard the voice. If it's not, you know, what's the old Buddhist um, uh, test? Is it true? <clears throat> Is it kind? Is it helpful? Well, if it doesn't really do any of those three things for you, I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, on your way. That's not really very useful. Uh, so I think it puts you in a free, a freer position, doesn't it? And it will change your behavior towards other people, perhaps boost your confidence and your expressiveness. You're willing to take risks from time to time. Um, you're not stopped so often. Uh, and that's really important. You also mentioned in your book, the power of intention. So how can people in customer service listen with intention? Well, intention is very important with all sound, actually. The intention behind a sound, whether it's a piece of music or um, somebody's voice, is really, really fundamental in the way that we receive it. It's particularly true with speaking and listening, I think. All too often, uh, we've got one of two intentions, which I talk about a lot in my work, uh, which can be quite damaging. The first is looking good. We want to be affirmed. We want to be popular. We want to be respected and liked and so forth. And you can particularly see, see this with people who are on stage giving a talk of any kind, whether it be a TED talk or anything else. If they come on and their objective is to look good, you can tell. You know, there's a feeling of flimsiness, of, of superficiality about the whole thing, uh, a, a manipulation, if you like. And... So looking good isn't a great intention to have in your speaking or in your listening. It tends to give rise to actions like what I call speech writing, which is while you're talking, this noise is going on in front of me. I'm not really listening to you. I am writing my next brilliant bit of monologue, which I'm going to hit you with. And we, we do that a lot. You know, it's something to be cautious about uh, because you can trust your mouth to come up with the right thing when the other person's finished. And really listening is almost a form of meditation. It's being empty and allowing the other person to fill you, as opposed to thinking of what you're going to say next and how you're going to be better and brighter and cleverer and so forth. So if it's all about me, that is not great. It can lead to hyperbole as well, you know, exaggeration. And I, I don't get me started on language exaggeration, on having, you know, once upon a time we could be excited about things. Now we have to be super excited, don't we? Perhaps in a year <laughs> or two, it'll be, we'll, we'll have to be hyper excited or 
mega super excited or something, it gets bigger and bigger all the time. So it's part of the kind of addiction to intensity we have in life. So looking good, not the greatest intention. The other really damaging one, of course, being right. I love that quote from the American counselor and author Harville Hendricks, who said, you can either be right or be in a relationship. And I think there's so much truth in that. You know, if we're setting out to be right, it creates an awful lot of judgmentalism, conflict, and most of the conflict in the world is about people being right. It's this confusion of opinions with facts. They're two different things. You know, today is Thursday. That's a fact. Most of the rest of the stuff that we say a lot of the time is actually opinion. And we have to be quite careful about that. You know, I love this fantasy where people would say, would you like my opinion about that? No? Oh, I had such a good opinion all ready to go. But we don't do that, do we? We just give people our opinion willy-nilly. And very often we confuse it with facts. You know, that team is rubbish. Well, no, that's an opinion. It's not a fact. They may just have played badly, but, you know, and so it goes. And that's that kind of table thumping goes on all the way from the family dinner table up to meetings between foreign ministers, as we're seeing at the moment. It's very sad. You know, politicians go off and have talks. I wish they would go off and have listens instead. I think we'd be in a happier world. How do most people feel when they're being interrupted? Well, I'm sure everybody listening to this has had the experience of being interrupted. I mean, maybe some of you are interrupters. You know who you are. And it is, it's an unfortunate habit because the interruptee will generally start to feel disrespected, belittled, invisible, unimportant. It's not a nice feeling and it tends to create resentment fairly quickly if you continually interrupt somebody. It means you're you're considering them to be less than you. And it's all about that being right and being looking good and so forth, all wrapped up, isn't it? And I think if anybody is an interrupter, I can give you a little tip. You know, people have often said things like count to 10 and so forth. I think that's a bit clunky and takes a long time too. The tip would be to get into breathing properly which is a very good thing for your voice as well. So develop the habit of taking a deep breath every time before you speak. And as you're taking that deep breath, you might just realize the person in front of you is still talking. It gives you that <laughs> moment to recognize that before you weigh in. I know it can be very frustrating if you're a fast-paced person, for example, you tend to speak quickly, you think quickly, everything's going to be quick, and you're dealing with somebody who's really not the same pace at all. And there's this tendency of, yeah, 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 anyway, you know, or you've got some brilliant thing you want to say and you can't wait to say it. It's worth just resisting those things. Remember, you're always speaking into listening. And if you're speaking to somebody who's this calm, sort of slow-paced person, it would really be a good idea to slow yourself down a little bit in order to make yourself more understandable by them. Otherwise, they probably feel overwhelmed with the pace of what you're doing. Yeah. So um, interrupting is not a great habit. 
And it's important also to ask yourself, you know, that's interesting. Why do I keep interrupting people? Where's it coming from? And what can I do about that? Exactly. You need to acknowledge what you're doing first before you can do something about it. When it comes to breathing, you're also allowing that other person that extra time just in case they're not done. So from your perspective, what is the beauty of silence? Oh, silence is really important. And it's a rarity now, especially if you live in a city, which now the majority of humanity does. Uh, silence is hard to find. Um, it's the baseline. It's the gaps between the words, the gaps between the notes. It's the valleys that make the mountains make sense. It's there for a very important reason. If we didn't have silence, everything would just be cacophony and noise. And it's also something that's very important to be acquainted with in life. You know, there's a wonderful walk uh, that I've been on in Lake Orta in, the nor in northern Italy, one of the smaller of the lakes up there. And there's a monastery in the middle of it on the island of San Giuliano, actually, funnily. And there's a walk around it called the Walk of Silence. It takes about 20 minutes, half an hour to walk around it. And there's a little sign every so often along the way. And some of these signs are beautiful. One that's always stayed with me is, in the silence, you meet yourself. Silence is at the heart of almost every spiritual path I can think of. All the ones I know, anyway, have got at their heart somewhere, contemplation, meditation, silent prayer, you know, that kind of contemplative, peaceful place. And it's somewhere that we tend not to get to go to these days. There's a TV on, there's screens around us the whole time, there are people talking, there's things to do, there's emails to answer. How often do we get to that place of stillness? That's where silence is. And that's, if you can develop a practice of encountering silence a few times a day, just for a few minutes, it's really wonderful. It resets your ears, recalibrates them, allows you to listen afresh. And it's also a wonderful way of recalibrating your entire soul, if you like, and giving yourself oh, that moment where everything can be just tidied up and locked down for a moment. And then you are ready to get on with the next thing. So I think silence is absolutely crucial. It is crucial. The rock around the lake sounds quite amazing. It's beautiful. Why do companies hire on listening, but they don't reward on listening? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's supposed to be, if not the top skill, or certainly is one of the top skills that recruiters are looking for in their recruits. And yet once you're in a company, do they reward for it? Do they appraise on it? No. It's just ignored. And I think this is probably because of the confusion uh, between listening and hearing and taking listening as a capability. So the idea, I guess, is if you find somebody who's supposedly a good listener, that's box ticked, job done, and just let them get on with the job and everything, everything will be fine, which is really ignoring the fact that listening is a skill. And in most organizations, I believe, they should be training on it regularly. They should be appraising. You know, if you've got a 360 degree appraisal, then the question, how good is this person at listening, ought to be in there. And people ought to be rewarded for doing it well, because it is a fundamental skill in business. 
and particularly, of course, in, in customer service and support, where you're having conversations with people who may be upset or may need solutions giving to them. What would you say to someone who leads customer service and says, well, that's great, Julian, but how do I score on listening? Well, I think, uh, you know, informal ratings, as I say, a 360 is the best way to do it because that would be colleagues. It would be maybe ratings given on the phone if you're doing post uh, phone surveys with people. How well did this person listen to you? That's a reasonably easy way of doing it and getting a lot of people to rate somebody rather than just a boss sort of ticking a box or doing a test. I mean, there are tests on this thing. Obviously, you can do that. Go on the internet. There are plenty of places to go. And there's a very good resource in the International Listening Association. Um, I was very honored to receive a special award from them a couple of years ago. And I think as a marvelous organization, ILA.org, um, I think they're on listen.org. I can't remember the actual um, URL, but if you search for International Listening Organization, they have uh, association, International Listening Association. They have lots of resources. So there's plenty out there. You can get external coaches to come in, you know, people like me or whoever to come in and train people and give you programs. There are courses like mine out there. Uh, so there's a lot of resources to improve listening and there are ways to rate it. And I do think the best way is probably this whole 360 approach where you asking, you're asking people who work for the person, how, how well does this boss listen to you? The piece, the people, the person works for. Four, how well does this person listen to instructions and understand them? Everybody, I mean, in all directions, it can be appraised. Well, Julian, I've learned so much. I wish we had a full day to unpack this. But the time has come for the last two questions. And the first question is, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And my second question is, if you could leave a note to every single customer service representative and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? Well, the first answer is a book by Dr. Sally Augustine called Designology. I interviewed her for the podcast of my company, The Sound Agency, and it was absolutely fascinating. She is an expert in multisensory design. And these days we're thinking about neurodiversity in the workplace um, and she is all about designing for all the senses so they're congruent and spaces really help us in every way. Some people re respond strongly to color, other people to sound, to smell and so forth. Fascinating book, Designology. It's also about designing your home well. And a note to customer service professionals. I think I'd say always have two intentions. You know, we talked about the importance of intention. Intention number one, obviously, will be to make the customer happy at the end of your interaction with them. Intention number two, which I think is often mislaid, in my experience anyway, in dealing with people on the phone, is to discover a way to improve the organization. Is there something in what this person has complained about or their experience that I can take and take to somebody, and hopefully you're in an organization that's actually responsive to that, and say, here's an idea. We could do this. You know, it's the old joke of you're the 50th person I've told today. There's no demand for this. Are we really listening if that's the way we're working? No. <laughs> you know, there is a demand, and it's just we're ignoring it. Or, you know, many people have made the same 
comment or criticism or had the same bad experience, can we fix it rather than simply saying, here's 5,000 air miles or free this or, you know, a discounted that and make them happy? Can we fix it so that we improve the whole way we do business? And I think actually that would be, to me, the most fun part of working in customer service is always seeking new ways to improve the whole organization. Surely that's what it's all about. Yeah, I love that. One of my guests also said that a complaint is not just a complaint. It's an opportunity to to grow as an organization so that next person doesn't have to complain. So you're saying the exact same thing. So I love that. You know, if if one of my listeners is saying, Julian, I want to be a better listening organization. I want to buy your book or I want to find a way to get a hold of you. How do they go about doing that? Well, do pop by my website, juliantreasure.com. And uh, if you're interested in speaking as well, there's, there's quite an interesting free video, which is me and a, a top US speaker coach dissecting my number, I think it's number seven of all time, TED Talk, the one, the one called How to Speak So That People Want to Listen. Why was it so successful? What did I do right? You know, what could have gone, gone better and so forth. So come by the website and there's lots of resources there. Um, also, I have a course online, which people can do. It's seven and a half hours in nine chapters. Uh, so it's quite in depth, even more in depth, possibly than the book, How to Be Heard. Any of those things, I'd be delighted to hear from you as well. My email is on the website. So pop by and if you've got questions, I'll do my very best to answer them. That is great. To my listeners, give this guy a follow, buy his book and get a hold of him because he has something to say and he has plenty of listening ability. So Julian, thank you so much for your time and uh, best of luck this year. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.